That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, good evening. I'm Dr. Gina, and this is Primetime. Welcome. The Biden administration is uh, taking shape, and it seems as though you're more likely to get hired if you were involved in a previous scandal. At least we know what the prerequisites are. The headline over at Just the News says this. Scandal-rama. Figures tied to past controversies increasingly land jobs on Team Biden. John Solomon and his crew over at Just the News have been going through Biden appointees and finding out that many are names we've heard before in the scandal pages. All right. And Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, was busted sending classified information on Hillary Clinton's infamous uh, insecure, unsecure, rather personal email server. And now he's Joe Biden's national security advisor. This is the person who's entrusted with our most precious state secrets. So there you have that pre-qualification. Now, Victoria Newland is the incoming undersecretary of state, and she is tied to the author of the dirty fake Russia dossier, and that would be Christopher Steele. And then you can move on over to Susan Rice. She is now Biden's White House domestic advisor. And you remember she famously blamed the Benghazi terror attack on a YouTube video. And she's also known for sending a very odd email to herself. We all do that. That's completely normal. On Obama's last day in office. And she reminded herself that Obama said to do the Trump-Russia investigation by the book. Yeah, we remember that. And here's a good one. Melissa Hodgman. She's the new Securities and Exchange Commission enforcement official. And she just happens to be married to fired and disgraced FBI agent Peter Strzok who was in charge of the Trump-Russia collusion conspiracy theory investigation that had no basis, in fact, whatsoever. So that's, of course, who you'd hire. And those are just some of the select we know about so far, but we'll keep them coming at you. And it's not just old scandals plaguing Biden's appointees. We have the brand-new Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen. She's been busy for the past few years giving speeches, and her speeches must be amazing because she was paid $800,000 for speaking to the firm that was just put up, that just now put up millions of dollars to bail out the hedge fund involved in the GameStop scandal. And then there's the new White House press secretary, Jen Psaki. Wow, she's a new gift that's going to keep on giving. Uh, she's, you know, the press, of course, going very easy on her, but she still can't answer the most softball of questions. And we are barely past the first week of the Biden presidency and Jen Psaki sounds like a broken record. Watch this. I can, I'll circle back if there's more I can share with you. But I'll circle back with you if there's more to convey. Um, I'll have to just circle back with you. We can circle back with you. I'm, I'm happy to circle back with you. I can circle back. Uh, I will have to 
circle back on that one. That's an excellent question. Oh, such an important question. Uh, we will circle back with you and we'll, we'll circle back with you. It's an interesting question, but uh, we'll, we'll circle back. I'm happy to circle back, but I'll have to circle back with you on it. It's a good question, but we'll circle back with you on this today. We will certainly circle back with you more directly. Uh, I hate to disappoint you, but I will have to circle back with you on that as well. But when they do circle back with her, she doesn't have the answer. She just wants to circle back again. She just likes to go in circles, apparently. And why do I have a feeling that this is what we're going to be seeing over and over again for four entire years? And why do I also have a feeling that if you haven't already bought the, bought the domain Circleback Saki, maybe it's time to do that. Somebody out there, just go right ahead because I have a feeling it'll be worth something over the next four years. All right, let's head out to America where we are going to go in a bit of a circle around the country to our hosts and correspondents on the ground where all the action is happening. Uh, we want to go first to, I believe, Carrie. Carrie, thanks for being with us tonight. What do you have? Hey there, Dr. Jean. I want to let you know about a story that is heartbreaking in many ways. Under the lockdown policies, we are seeing reportedly, according to statistics, the child safety advocates are fearing because of the lockdowns and distancing, child abuse rates are skyrocketing. The reports are surging over the past year. It's triggered alarm among child safety advocates who fear that the crisis was precipitated by the COVID-19 mitigation policies like lockdowns and school closures. With millions of children who are confined to their homes and relatively isolated from the outside world due to distancing policies, the shutdowns, the advocates warn, could be contributing to the surge while at the same time concealing its true extent. So at the front lines of this, of reporting child abuse, under the mandated laws of reporting child abuse, teachers and clergy, coaches, they are mandated to report uh, suspected child abuse. There was one estimate in November that uh, estimated 250,000 cases of child abuse or neglect may have gone unreported in during this U.S. COVID pandemic. Now, there is a bill that is going to be introduced by a Democratic congressman. There is a Republican senator, Senator John Cornyn, who has a bill as well on this issue. They are trying to iron out this uh, in both chambers and see if there can be some bipartisan solutions to this so that we can have the children who, uh, protected. Um, that we can have alert systems, um, whether it's the, the teachers or the clergy, just to be more aware of what's happening and stop this heartbreaking trend. Back to you, Dr. Gina. All right, thank you so much, Carrie. Uh, now let's head out to our Denver headquarters where Jessica Rivera is standing by. Jessica, you always have great stuff for us. What do you have for us tonight? Well, Dr. Gina, earlier today I spoke with male feminist pioneer Dr. Warren Farrell. He explained his disappointment with feminism today and how President Joe Biden's White House Gender Policy Council is both sexist and racist. Take a listen. And I've become very disappointed um, in the way it has evolved. Um, you know, in the days that I was with it, uh, we were, you know, as Helen Reddy and I am woman, I am strong and I'm 100% supportive of empowering women. Uh, but it's uh, morphed into, I am woman, I've been wronged. And uh, that is not uh, helpful. And um, and so I was particularly upset um, when President Biden created a White House Gender Council that only um, is helping women and girls after 50 years of neglecting boys and men. And I you know, really am in challenging that as being racist and, and sexist and racist. Racist because it's leaving out the single most vulnerable population in the United States, which is black males. And to leave black males out um, is just, um, is, a, is a type of racism. 
And Dr. Farrell went on to explain that if black lives really matter, you can't just ignore the single biggest solution to better black lives, which is re-engaging black fathers. Because moms nurture a boy's sensitivity and talents, while dads usually teach discipline and boundary enforcement. But Dr. Gina, what really stood out to me was when he explained that boys once were taught to deny their feelings and to be disposable, either to war or to always working. But now husbands and wives share responsibilities, so boys have to be taught how to be human beings who are not disposable. And at the same time, girls have to also be taught that women empowerment is that girls are just as responsible as men. But at the same time, both sexes need to be taught about postponed gratification because it is the most important predictor of success or failure. Well, that is sure true. Boy, I think back over, you know, 30 years of marriage that I've had, and I think all of those words are just completely true. Jessica, I always enjoy the stories you pick for this show. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I want to head back out to Washington, D.C., to the news editor there at Just the News, Joseph Weber. Joseph, Chicago school kids aren't coming back to school anytime soon, I'm hearing. Tell us what you know. Uh, it doesn't appear as if they're not. They're certainly not today. And it appears as if the negotiations between the teachers union and the public school system um, has hit a severe roadblock. They didn't even meet last night. I mean, uh, yesterday, uh, they just kept on hurling um, insults at each other. Uh, now, the mayor, uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, with whom I think we're all familiar, uh, she demanded them to come back to work today, but they simply didn't listen. Um, now, what's interesting about this is the fact that while they're not probably going to go back to school in class um, learning, that the mayor said that if they don't um, do that, then they'll be sus taken suspended their online privilege teaching uh, access, and that's going to be a real problem for you know not only uh, teachers union and the school, but really the students. There's about 300,000 students impacted would be impacted by this. It's a very large number of schools, one of the biggest school districts in the country, as you well know. Wow. Well, Joseph, I want to ask you, um, you know, gun violence, we're hearing, is on the rise, but I don't see any reporting about it. Um, what are you hearing about that happening, uh, in, especially in these areas where the shutdowns are happening? Well, two things. One, uh, today, uh, Chicago police came out with a report that said that 21 people were shot over the weekend, and um, they considered that um, progress, considering that 31 were over last weekend. They attributed it to the winter storm that kept people off the streets. That's, that's sad uh, to know that um, that many people are. And while Chicago is a huge, huge city, uh, there's another interesting story out of Washington, D.C. already over the last three weeks or the first three weeks of this week, three teenage boys have been shot and killed in the poor section uh, of Washington. And Washington had the, fifth, the highest uh, violent crime rate, murder rate last year uh, in the past 15 years. Um, and they've already eclipsed it this year with 14. They had 11 uh, at this time last year. And one of the out members of the council, as you know, Washington's a Democrat-controlled city. Uh, the city council, he's saying that he's declaring for a state of emergency. He's saying two things. One, uh, the services aren't there to help people. And the other is that this is a community problem. And the only way you're really going to solve this is to get people in your community involved. You have to take ownership of these problems yourself. Just don't look for government to do this for you. Wow. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much, Joseph. Appreciate that report. Thanks for having me.
All right, and coming up, we have another great soundbite from Biden's press secretary. You're going to almost feel sorry for this girl. Almost. Stick around. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you. Stay with us. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Now, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki is getting made fun of today on social media. Someone really should have told her to lay off repeating herself over and over. Watch this video making the rounds today. I can, I'll circle back if there's more I can share with you. But I'll circle back with you if there's more to convey. Um, I'll have to just circle back with you. We can circle back with you. I'm, I'm happy to circle back with you. I can circle back. Uh, I will have to circle back on that one. That's an excellent question. Oh, such an important question. Uh, we will circle back with you and we'll, we'll circle back with you. It's an interesting question, but uh, we'll, we'll circle back. I'm happy to circle back, but I'll have to circle back with you on it. It's a good question, but we'll circle back with you on this today. We will certainly circle back with you more directly. I hate to disappoint you, but I will have to circle back with you on that as well. And the best tactic when people are making fun of you is to ignore it. But instead, she did this. And last thing I just want to do before we get to your questions, um, I often note I'm going to circle back. I hate to disappoint conservative Twitter, but I am going to circle back on a number of things, as we often do directly. But uh, Hurricane Maria funds, uh, which was a question that was asked last week, uh, the president has made clear uh, the status of them, I should say, that it is a priority for his administration to release this funding. We are working to do so. Uh, so that is in process. On the White House fence, which a couple of people asked about, I believe it was on Friday, uh, our goal, the president and the vice president's goal, is uh, for the Secret Service to adjust the perimeter as soon as it makes sense from an overall security standpoint. So we're working closely with them on that. Uh, and they are, of course, um, would be in the lead on that front. Uh, and the last piece I just wanted to give a quick update on was there was a question about uh, the White House's support for FEMA's request of troops. We, of course, support a whole of government pandemic response that is catering to the unique issues and needs of our states. FEMA's working in strong partnership with states to get a handle on their needs and accordingly have requested the significant manpower in some cases. Blah, blah, blah. I, I really, I just, I mean, just no answers, no answers, no answers. So it's pretty clear that Jen Psaki is reading the comments on Twitter. At least you have that going for you. Here with me now is someone who is a Twitter expert, specifically an expert at being banned from Twitter, radio talk show host, Kevin McCullough. Kevin, good to see you. Thanks for being with us tonight. Th thanks for letting me circle back to be here. I appreciate it. <laughs> Touche. Yeah, Kevin, uh, Kent, Jen Saki rather, did the worst thing imaginable. She let everyone on Twitter know that they are getting under her skin, living in her head quite literally. I guess she didn't learn the lessons from grade school and the number one lesson of social media, you don't read the comments. <laughs> Well, if she thinks this is mean, I would love for her to, to try to fill Kaylee McEnany's beautiful high heels for just a couple of days when she had, uh, and, and Sarah Sanders before her and, and some of the others, when they've had the, the, the cruelest, most unfair uh, criticisms launched at them based on everything from how they look to, 
you know, the, the supposed level of intelligence and everything else. She's had it easy so far. And the fact that they point to something that she just does is is in and that and that bothers her. Man, I hope that they don't, you know, really start going after her for maybe the intellectual honesty of some of the answers or the vagueness. Did you hear the response to the one thing she said there uh, that she that she was fully on board with what the president and the vice president decide to do? As if there was some sort of question that the press secretary couldn't be fully on board with the president or the vice president since <laughs> she's in fact by de facto their spokesperson. I mean, there's a time when you should, um, you know, examine your communication skills, work at getting better, etc. There's a time to listen more closely, and there's a time to improve. There's seldom a time when you're in that position to be blaming everyone else about why you're picked on. Yeah, and, and it seems as though she uh, resents being questioned whatsoever, and it's kind of her job to be questioned. She needs to come up with another phrase, though, saying, I'm going to circle back with you. This has been going on and on now uh, ad nauseum, and she hasn't been there that long, Kevin. Yeah. No, what's really amazing is that um, the, the, the White House press corps, they were not fair to, to Donald Trump in any way, shape, or form most of the time. But I will say this, and you'll find people in the press corps that will tell you this, the Trump administration was more... Um, accessible and more transparent in every area of dealing with the press than the Obama administration had been before them and what they're learning about the Biden administration now. And Kaylee McEnany may have walked in there with a stack of, of binders this big, and she may have flipped uh, frequently throughout uh, press conferences. But you know why? Because she had things page marked and she could go to something and she could say, this is the exact in-depth position of the administration on this particular issue. Jen Psaki looked for 45 seconds, page after page after page after page on Friday and still couldn't come up with a simple answer to what uh, President Biden's latest approach to COVID-19 was for my, my colleague Greg Clugston from uh, SRN News. It, was, it would be hilarious if it weren't so cringeworthy. Absolutely. All right. I want to switch topics with you. Uh, your governor in New York, the Cuomo Watch Twitter account, tweeted something that got New York state lawmakers all fired up. Here's that tweet. If you see anybody from the Cuomo administration in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gas station, get out and create a crowd. If you push back on them um, and you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Um, now, we all know who have been playing politics for the past few years. It's a quote from a Democrat, Maxine Waters, but the name Trump was changed to Cuomo. So when you threaten Trump administration officials, it's totally fine. But this Twitter troll exposed their hypocrisy, and it was so good. And I think it's especially interesting. You know, Kevin, I want to tell you, we had some friends in from St. Louis this weekend, and they were telling me, uh, something about uh, how their, I guess, uh, one of their county officials had said that, that he had closed the, the county and had decided to uh, then go outside of the county to go to dinner. And literally the restaurants outside of the county wouldn't serve him because he'd closed down his own county. These kinds of things are happening, happening everywhere. The Speaker of the New York State Assembly responded with this to that, um, that changed quote. This is appalling and dangerous. Encouraging violence must never be tolerated. Shame on whoever is behind this kind of garbage. And Congressman Richie uh, Torres, who sits on committees with Maxine Waters, wrote this. As a congressman who lived through the insurrection against the U.S. Congress, I am appalled at this tweet. 
See, so there's a double standard, Kevin. That's what I'm trying to outline here. There's a double standard where these Democrat politicians say one thing, do another, and then if the tables are ever turned on them, it's just outrage. It's outrage, and you're not allowed to do it. And then they call the other side all kinds of names. Only one side can play the kind of games they play on the Democrat side, but they never, ever say, and no one even calls them out on their own side ever, Kevin. I've never heard someone say, you know what, honestly, Maxine, that's exactly what you said about Trump. And so it's kind of fair if they said that about our side. No, I think that Speaker Hasty is 100% correct. I'm appalled by uh, anybody that would want to imply that violence should be used to, to settle a score. And since it was Maxine Waters' words that were used as the basis, he wanted to get down to the bottom of where that kind of uh, t- uh, tweet came from. Well, let's let's go talk to Congresswoman Maxine Waters because that's where, in fact, the idea uh, germinated from. And in terms of Richie Torres, he probably doesn't even know that it was originally his colleague, uh, Ms. Waters, that uh, that uh, uttered those words first. Very clever little uh, word trap laid for them, and they fell for it every time. Mm-hmm. Every time. But, you know, until there is dialogue about this kind of thing, Kevin, real civil discourse, until until the Maxine Waters of the world are willing to have a conversation and be honest and transparent about this kind of thing, I don't see how there's going to be any form of unity like Joe Biden talks about. Do you? No, and I think that Joe Biden has pretty much kissed off the idea of having unity when he he, he basically has said, if people don't like uh, the way we're going to do the COVID-19 bill, they just need to get over it. I, I think the idea that that there's going to be a genuine bipartisan effort to get a government moving forward on mutually beneficial uh, agenda items is is gone. I just think that they've squandered all their opportunity. 40 plus uh, executive orders in the first week and a half uh, pretty much set the tone. And I think now you're going to have uh, even uh, a bigger challenge than maybe they expected to bite off in that you're going to have attorneys general across at least six states that we know of so far taking them to court, challenging these executive orders. And the, and the weakness of, uh, of governing the way the Biden administration appears to intend to is that we are a we are a multifaceted government with lots of checks and balances. And so if he's overstepped his boundary and the judiciary keeps him in check and, and they don't have more than a, a large enough majority in either house to really push things through uh, at, at a greater rate, then they're just going to have to live with that. But they showed their hand early. They certainly didn't even pretend to come in with a, a, a desire to, to work together. And they're pretty much telling everybody to hit the road that disagrees with them. It's, it's a really sad night for America. Kevin, we already made fun of, uh, you know, what's going on there and some of this hypocrisy. But the Biden administration appointees are, you know, it, it's almost shocking that the credentials that seem to have gotten them there are what you would think would be the credentials that would actually disqualify someone for those exact named positions, Biden's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, for example, busted sending classified information on Hillary Clinton's infamous uh, unsecure personal email server. Now he's Joe Biden's National Security Advisor, entrusted with most precious secrets. Uh, Melissa Hodgman, for example, 
new Securities and Exchange Commission enforcement official. She just happens to be the one married to the fired and disgraced FBI agent Peter Strzok, who was in charge of the Trump-Russia collusion conspiracy theory investigation. We all know about that. Kevin, I could literally go on for another 10 minutes. There are so many more we outlined earlier, so many embroiled in scandal after scandal. And there's no accountability. And I'm, I'm curious, if, you know, for the rank and file who supported Joe Biden, who really did vote for him, because there have to be some out there somewhere. Um, why aren't they screaming about this? Well, a couple of things I think are pertinent to that discussion. I don't know that um, a, a lot of people pay very close attention to the uh, deeper uh, appointments, cabinet picks, etc., particularly in the in the non-well-as-publicized positions. Um, I find it interesting that Strzok's wife is someone who was rewarded with a position, given that Strzok and his lover were the two that were uh, caught in the um, texting uh, bias, etc., that, uh, that, that they were exposed for. But I do right. think this. I think that, that serving in an administration, particularly when you've done um, bad things in the past, is a good way to qualify yourself for a potential pardon uh, by a president if you give them some uh, service of loyalty for a period of time. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that wasn't on the minds of at least some of those that have done this. I've, I've even contemplated that about uh, Hunter himself, given that uh, the, son, the president's son and the president himself seem to have been neck deep in corruption in a, in a very documented and tangible way that uh, the FBI and the DOJ have, it seems to me that that pardon power that everybody was worried that uh, Trump was going to abuse is probably going to be, you know, lit up like a Christmas tree come the end of uh, Biden's term. Um, and who knows who all it might be applied to. Well, judging by his list of executive orders this high on his desk, uh, over 40 of them now, wouldn't surprise me a bit. Kevin McCullough, Thank you so much. And uh, everybody, make sure you listen to his show every day, his radio show. Kevin, tell them where they can find it. Dr. Gina, people can just go to iTunes or SoundCloud and look for Kevin McCullough Radio and uh, subscribe All to the right. podcast or check us out on a local station near you. All right. Coming up, it's not just Biden appointees who are caught up in scandals. It's also the Never Trumpers over at the Lincoln Project. More scandals. And it hasn't been that long that Joe Biden has even been there. We have that story up next. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you. Stay right where you are. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back. We're so glad to have you in our audience today. Hey, don't forget, if you are watching me, uh, you can tune into my podcast, which is at justthenews.com. You click up on the little hamburger in the corner and look for podcasts, and my face will pop up, and you can see it right there or listen to it right there. And if you're listening on the podcast, don't forget to watch us, realamericasvoice.com and lots of other places where you have glass in front of you, you can get our show. And that's pretty much it. Every single night, 7 p.m. Eastern, the Biden administration bringing back all the old scandal-laden characters from Obama years past. But there are also some dirty deeds going on 
over at the Lincoln Project. Ryan Gerdusky broke the news over at the AmericanConservative.com. The headline is this. The Lincoln Project's predator, the longtime McCain aide and Kasich strategist, has been accused of grooming young men by multiple named accusers. And now there's more to that story that has come out over the weekend here to discuss my good friend Ryan Gerdusky. Uh, Ryan, welcome back to the show. First, tell us how you broke this story of this predator involved in the Lincoln Project. John Weaver started following me on Twitter uh, a couple of uh, months ago, back in late May, and then within a few days of him following me, several young men reached out to me, warning me that this is what they had done to them, that he had reached out to them and then tried to offer them jobs for, for sex. Um, so I started working on the story then with another journalist, uh, and I worked for it for months, um, and then in late August he had a heart attack. Uh, which oftentimes happens when negative news is coming about him, and several members of the Lincoln Project Advisory Board heard I was working on a story. Um, so the story got delayed and delayed, and as the delays kept on put, being pushed, uh, my my sources started dropping out of it, saying they were too worried about backlash from Weaver and his associates at the Lincoln Project. Finally, in, in January, I tweeted that the accusations were out there, and luckily enough, uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of young men came forward on their own saying that they had been um, uh, had been uh, harassed, sexually harassed by John Weaver. And now it's probably closer to 100 young men. Jeez, you wonder how someone even has time uh, to communicate with that many people and still uh, function in life. It's, it's really, it's really, it's mind-blowing. Um, and, and so uh, do we know if there were any actual contacts made? Do we have, I mean, is this just yes, all or grooming? Or, yeah, go ahead. No, there were, there was contact. Uh, most of it was just through messages, but yes. It, uh, messages usually started as, um, uh, you, are you interested in politics? Are you in college? Um, how, how, what do you want to do? How can I help you do that? Do you need someone to help you uh, get ahead in, in the business? And then it moved to a conversation of what's your body bill type? Uh, are you athletic? And then explicit sexual stuff was moved after that. There were several young men who did make uh, physical contact with John Weaver, though, for, with the offer of jobs. And that, and that is, you know, such preying on, I mean, it's, you know, sexual harassment is one thing, but when you are taking people who are in that vulnerable age where they are looking for jobs and they maybe don't have the resume quite yet built up and they don't understand, too, maybe what some of those key words are, like, you know, what's your, what's your physical build? Are you athletic? Those are, those are, you know, red flags to most of us. We would know not to answer that email. But, you know, somebody just out of school who's maybe looking for a job in that more vulnerable position doesn't want to be one of those people living in their mom's basements, uh, you know, trolling people on Twitter like so many of the leftists do, um, then, you know, this is, this is particularly particularly vulnerable time in their lives, correct? It's it's very very vulnerable, and these are I mean it's a hard business to break into to work in. So anyone would look for a mentor who has been more established, especially a man who runs a multi million dollar institution like the Lincoln Project does. It's got seventy five million dollars last year. Uh, the reason the story blew up, I reported this three weeks ago, and few outlets really picked it up. The Lincoln Project all but ignored it. Um, the reason it blew up, the New York Times then did a follow-up on Sunday where they found young men who were in high school, as, as young as the age of 14, that he was preying on, offering them the same exact thing. 
things and saying, please contact me when you leave high school. Um, other young men, he said, please switch schools so it would be easier for me to see you. Uh, and then once again, the conversation then moved to an extremely graphic um, uh, messages. Okay. And so what about some sort of prosecution? What's happening there? I don't know about a prosecution. Um, from what I know, none of the men that actually met him were under 18. I don't know if there is a prosecution for just messaging people under 18. I don't, I don't know the laws. Uh, the Lincoln Project has sat there and said they, uh, that they completely den uh, you know, denounce him, that he's a predator now. They've changed their story four times in three weeks. Uh, but it's very clear from when I was doing the research on this story and trying to in interview people that this was an open secret. Everyone knew that this was going on with John Weaver. So much so that one very prominent Never Trumper, um, who was a household name, well-known journalist with decades of experience, was asked to join the Lincoln Project in 2019, and he said, I will not do it because John Weaver's a creep. Um, it was very, very, very well-known, and several young they went to members of the Lincoln Project, like Mike Madrid, um, and said, this is what's happening, and it was completely ignored. While I was doing the reporting, other people, uh, Junk fast heard about it and was trying to help get the story killed or warn John Weaver about it. Um, so they knew that this was out there. They knew this was coming, and now they are lying and saying that it was just John Weaver's problem and they did not affiliate with him. Some are saying they never even met him or spoke to him that often. Um, it is all a lie. They knew that this was that he was using their organization as a groom to groom young men and prey on them. And you're humble, but I believe you had a mention by a certain. Uh Rush Limbaugh today, if I'm not mistaken, and that's exciting too. Um, and 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 it is definitely caught steam because these are the kinds of things that, if this were a conservative organization, we would be hearing about it everywhere, would we not? I mean, we hear about Marjorie Taylor Greene's Facebook comments from 2012, 75 <laughs> times a day. Apparently, it's the most concerning, pressing issue in America. Um, but no, this was an organization. By the way, MSNBC and CNN had the leaders of the Lincoln Project on their network 17 times after my story came out. 17 times. Guess how many times they asked about John Weaver and the Lincoln Project? Zero. Oh. They didn't care. The media absolutely covered for them. Axios did a, a total puff piece, defend, uh, not defending Weaver, but giving his side of the story, saying he's gay and he's struggling because he's married to a woman. Uh, completely. Kevin Spacey defense. They ran cover for him this entire time. Since we're on the topic of never Trumpers like the Lincoln Project, the never Trump Republican Congressman Kinsinger from Illinois says he's launching a pact to purge Trump and Trumpism from the Republican Party. But I don't know if he's going to have a lot of luck. It's you just don't purge people uh, that way, do you? It's a weird way of saying I'm going to purge. It's never you. Not like I'm going to win over hearts and minds. I'm going, going to purge. Usually a very violent, negative rhetoric. Um, Adam Kinzinger is not an extraordinarily popular congressman. I probably can't name a single thing he's done in the nearly ten years he's been in Congress, um, or over ten years he's been in Congress. Um, and he's uh, right now for probably his re-election simply because he's in a state where he's going to be redistricted out of a district. Um, so more than likely he'll probably be leeching on to donors to run a super PAC to pay himself, I assume, um, because that's what generally a lot of consultants and people in politics to exorbitant salaries like members of the Lincoln Project. 
Right, Ryan Gerdusky, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for following up on this story and protecting our children. Uh, grab his book. It is called They're Not Listening, and you can find him on Twitter, at Ryan Gerdusky. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thank you. Coming up, the recall. Gavin Newsom uh, is uh, happening in California, and we're hearing more about it every single day. We will give you a follow-up on that. Stay with us. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you right after this. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to Dr. Chain of Prime Time. Now, after months of lockdowns and years of mismanagement of the state, California residents are not happy with the governor. The story over at KUSI News says the petition to recall Governor Gavin Newsom has reached approximately 1.3 million signatures in the group at Recall Gavin 2020 says they have six weeks left to get 1.49 million ballot signatures. Will they make that deadline? Two of my favorite California residents join me now, Amanda Head in Los Angeles and Ben Berkwamans in Fresno, California. I'm suddenly laughing at the irony of the fact that the two of you, two of the most stalwart, outspoken conservatives I can think of, and the fact, how is it that either of you live in California? It's just, it is laughable. Moving on. Amanda, um, I need to know, how many times did you sign the recall? No, actually, that was Ben's question to you before the show. Because that's how the Democrats work. They would just sign it four times, as Ben pointed out. Uh, but do you think they will get all of the signatures on this recall petition? Yeah, I, I definitely do. We have been very busy over here in California. Like you said, I think around actually less than 200,000 signatures left to meet that threshold. But 1.8 to 2 million is the buffer that they're trying to give it because uh, our new secretary of state, who was literally just sworn into office on Friday, um, her name is Shirley Weber. She is the one who succeeded Alex Padilla. She has deemed that 84% of them are valid. So if you if you average out, you know, 16 per, or 26, yeah, 16% of them are not going to be accepted, uh, then you've got to have that buffer. But I, I see Ben over in preview. He and I both have the same emotions when it comes to this. Can you imagine if elections in general in California and now all across the country were this secure that they were checking signatures, making sure that they were in a county within California, making sure they actually resided at that address, making sure they currently resided at that address and nowhere else, making sure that it wasn't a P.O. box, making sure they weren't dead, we would have a lot safer elections. Oh, well, you know, we're not allowed to ask those kinds of questions, Amanda. So moving on, Ben, I assume that you also signed the petition. And uh, I know that you always have the pulse of California residents. So what are you hearing on the ground? 
Well, I did sign it, and like you said, I'm a conservative Republican. I only signed it once. We don't cheat on our side. Uh, but the energy on this is high. People are frustrated, especially in the business community. If you go on the website, recallgavin2020.com, you can find all the locations. One of those is behind me right here at the Costco parking lot where you can go and sign the petitions. There are hundreds of them across the state of California. And many restaurants, many of these businesses that Gavin Newsom has targeted are the first in line to get these petitions in their businesses. They've also sent out, another group has sent out over 3 million petitions to Republican voters in California. Uh, you can, if you get one of those petitions, you can fill it out, mail it back in. Those do count. But it is ironic what uh, Amanda said, that the, the former Secretary of State Padilla and now the new Secretary of State uh, they really care about making sure that these signatures are valid on these petitions, yet they, uh, they're they saying 16% would be invalid, yet we had states across the country that only rejected less than 1% of the vote-by-mail signatures. It's just, you know, it's laughable. It's laughable if it wasn't so serious, but I do believe that they are going to get the signatures. I believe California will recall Gavin Newsom, um, and my prayer is that we don't re-elect somebody, uh, you know, like him in the future. So, Amanda, what actually happens if the recall is successful? Will California just do another election and elect another communist, essentially? <laughs> Good gosh, let's hope not. So, so if they meet that 1.5 million threshold, then there will be a special measure on a ballot, which will come likely in the fall, where California voters will get to decide if they actually want to replace Gavin Newsom, and if so, with whom? Now, obviously, John Cox, you've probably heard that name before. He ran for governor in 2018 and lost to Gavin Newsom by about 24 points. And then also San Diego Mayor Kevin Falconer. So those are the two GOP guys that are that are running up against. So in the fall, that's when California voters will be able to say, OK, yes, we stand by our decision to recall him. He's out of there. Who are we going to replace him with? And Ben, are there, um, you know, do you think that there are Republicans who could win. I mean, that's kind of the key questions because we don't see a lot of Republicans win things in um, California these days. Well, I will say voter fraud in California is rampant. The Voter Integrity Election Integrity Project has proven that time and time and time again if they actually cared about voter integrity. Uh, so until we get our ballots cleaned up, uh, it's a long shot at best. And especially when we continue to run rhino Republican candidates, that doesn't help anything. Really, the biggest problem in California for Republicans is the Republican Party in California. I, I, you know, that's, but there is a shift happening. People are waking up. I was in Sacramento this weekend talking to MAGA uh, supporters up there that still support President Trump, uh, and they are anti-establishment, anti-rhino, anti-standard uh, GOP, and there is that shift that's happening. But really, that's what has to happen. We have to take over the Republican Party with people that are willing to stand up and put America first and put out candidates that are willing to put America first. But it's really up to you, to the American voters, to the people in this country. If you're in California and you haven't signed that petition yet, you've got to do it. And you get that information at Recall Gavin 2020. And then beyond that, you have to hold the leaders accountable within the party to doing what you want them to do. I mean, it's really it's we the people that make that decision, those decisions. And, and that's true. I mean, if, if you have, uh, if, even if you're not in California, you could always send it to your friends who are in California, make sure they send it to their friends and so on and so Absolutely. forth. Um, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, uh, what, is the, what, is the, what is it like there in terms of the reasons that Newsom is being recalled to begin with? Um, 
is, are, is, are things starting to open up? Are you starting to feel any sense of freedom? Because I keep seeing comments on, you know, we have, you know, do parties. Life is pretty normal here in Florida. We still got, I still don't understand the mask thing. The data's out. Uh, I saw on Carrie Sheffield's AM show that, uh, you know, the, the data is out and the places where they have mask mandates are the places where they have the highest incidence and deaths of COVID. Um, so it makes no sense to me that we're still doing these mask things. Uh, but at least the governor in our state says local municipalities can't uh, charge people for that, cannot find them for that. Um, are things starting to open up at all in California now that Newsom knows that his, uh, well, he's on the firing line, quite literally? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, honestly, Gina, and it, it absolutely baffles me that people still support Gavin Newsom, that they even supported him the first time around. How people did not see San Francisco as a microcosm of a future entire state of California, how they didn't see that he was going to take the policies that he implemented in San Francisco and propagate them across the state of California, turning it into a cesspool, basically a one-on-one overpass of bums, is beyond me. However, I digress. I think that the main reason that you've seen, you're seeing these new reopening things with Gavin Newsom is because he is feeling the fire. He's feeling the heat, and he's trying to figure out how can he can get out of this scenario. Now, the newest regulation or the newest uh, implementation of lockdowns, I suppose, he lifted the statewide lockdown last Friday. He said that restaurants could open outdoors, but now you can only be open outdoors if you don't have your TVs on. So who knew that you could catch coronavirus <laughs> from a television set? Yeah, I, I, and I heard that. What? Uh. I mean, is, there's got to be some level of rationale behind that because surely they're not. I mean, I guess the mask mandate's about as crazy as anything, but surely they're not saying that you catch coronavirus from your television. No, the reason is because they don't want mass gatherings for sporting events, which people would come to, you know, outdoor bars or whatever for that sort of thing. But if people are breaking the if a restaurant is allowing people to break the rules for sporting events, for UFC fights, for whatever sport it is they're watching, then they're already breaking the rules. They're, they've been breaking the rules. So it, there is a rationale behind it. But I insert air quotes very, very aggressively. Ben, uh, do you think Newsom could straighten out his act and win the popularity back and, uh, you know, avoid this recall? Well, uh, there are, as, as uh, Amanda was pointing out, there are a lot of dumb voters. I don't know if she used those words, but that's, the, uh, that's what I'm going to say. In California and across the country, uh, there are people that actually like people like Gavin Newsom. They don't realize the impacts of the policies that Democrats put into place. And unfortunately, a lot of these people are actually leaving California. They're fleeing California and they're going to other states and they're turning those states into cesspools as well. We're like in San Francisco, like Amanda mentioned, you can get fined. You, if your dog take, uh, goes to the bathroom on the streets, you get fined. But if you go to the bathroom on the streets, it's just fine. It's this kind of nonsense <laughs> that people are living with uh, and that people keep reelecting. And so there are, there are unfortunately a lot of people that still are, are clueless. They're either ignorant to the policies um, or they like them for some odd, crazy, uh, you know, the, uh, it's virtue signaling reason. I don't know, but yeah. I, there are more and more and more. The people that used to line up for the Democrats, I hear they are completely outraged with Gavin Newsom. Uh, I believe his political days are numbered and that will only be a good thing for California and for America. Got it. All right, guys, it's the end of the show, but we have enough time for our meme of the day.
And we have a chuckling Leo DiCaprio saying, going to jump on this early, Biden didn't kill himself. Amanda, this is something that Democrat politicians really do have to worry about these days. Quick comment, 30 seconds, go. <laughs> Yeah, we know the implication uh, here. Look, forget forget suicide by police. You just got to make sure you get yourself in the crosshairs of the Clintons or Kamala. Yeah, and Kamala. Yeah, that's real. And uh, Ben, 30 seconds, go. I love, I. you know what? The, the left can't meme. Uh, and I, I just, it, what makes me laugh is just thinking about them reading that and the outraged look of contempt on their face with no answer. <laughs> but it's true. Joe, watch out. Uh, don't let Kamala behind you. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Their PBF permanent bigot face. Anyway, thank you guys so much for joining yes. me tonight. And thank you so much to you two, Ben and Amanda. Thanks to everyone here at your new home for Real News. That's Real America's Voice, RAV-TV, live from Studio 6B, right around the corner with Damon and his crew. So don't you go away. Hug your children. Love your God. You go boldly now and live the truth. Good night, everybody. Easy.